I'm Heather. And I'm Corey. And this is Movie Shelf, where we talk about movies, movie trivia, and just about anything related to pop culture. We're glad you're here. In today's episode, we're talking about Jojo Rabbit, the latest film from Taika Waititi. We'll also talk about our movie picks of this episode, and of course, we'll enjoy a side of bacon. Mmm, bacon. So before we really get into the movie, we just wanted to acknowledge what's going on in the world at the moment. It's a little crazy, a little As if they don't know. I know. (laughs) But hey, for posterity, you know, years from now, we'll listen to this podcast and we'll hear about what's going on. So, At least we're not having to do this from our own separate rooms on a on a computer screen. <laughs> yes, we, we at least get to be in the same room together. Um, but yes, this is this is May now, and we've been quarantining for the most part since spring break back in March. Yes. Um, so it's definitely an interesting time, a different world at the moment. And um, a whole new world. I said a different world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know the theme song to that TV show. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we, I think once that hit back in March, I think our lives just kind of paused and and we're kind of getting back to a rhythm and a normal normalcy again. But of course, we haven't seen really any new movies. Yeah, I definitely put <laughs> movie going to somewhat of a halt. Although, cheers to Disney Plus for letting us, or for releasing Onward um, early so we could see it because we missed it before the, the quarantine happened. But we had wanted to talk about Jojo Rabbit for a while now, and we definitely promised it in our last episode during our awards shows. So. And, and it definitely re- re- uh, deserves its own review. Yes, because we Being our movie of the year. <laughs> so, Jojo Rabbit tells the story of a young boy. Growing up in World War II Nazi Germany, he is part of the Hitler Youth Program, training to be a Nazi. So right off the bat, this sounds like a film you should not like. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a scenario you should not at all like. Um, but he's being taught survival, survival skills, along with um, ridiculous lies about Jews. He is being taught to hate, essentially. And, oh, his imaginary friend and mentor is Hitler. Which most imaginary friends that most young kids would have grown up would be a totally pretend person or creature. But so it is a little unusual to have an imaginary friend as someone who really is real. Of course, I knew kids who would have imaginary friends of, you know, Spider-Man and stuff like that. Mm. So I guess it's not all that different. You know, it's not a totally made up of their own mind type of imaginary friend. I don't know if I had like a true imaginary friend ever. I think I may have had like imaginary people. Like I definitely mastered the pretend play of life. You know, you play school or you play bank and you know, you have imaginary interactions with people, but no like full on imaginary friend as far as I know. I don't think I did either, but as I got older, I I would know younger kids who did. Hmm. And to me, that'd be like, um, okay. <laughs> and usually in movies, when we see imaginary friends, I think it's usually like, you know, some sort of horror film. And it's an imaginary, it's an imaginary friend who's really a ghost. <laughs> I don't know. Harvey the Rabbit? That's not a horror film. <laughs> well, I said kids having imaginary friends. Okay, that was not a kid, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the film stars Scarlett Johansson. She plays Rosie. 
Jojo's mom. Roman Griffin Davis, he is Jojo. Taika Waititi, not only the director, but <laughs> he also plays the imaginary Hitler. Thomason McKenzie, um, and she's actually the girl in the wall. She's the, the Jewish girl in the film. Okay. And then Sam Rockwell, he is a captain in charge of the youth program. Um, and so those were the main people that stuck out um, to me when we watched the film. There, so You'll recognize a few other people, but those were the main ones that stuck out for me. So Jojo, early on in the film, he has an accident um, during his youth training. <laughs> and um, it results in him spending more time at home um, or... Yeah, more time at home. Um, Recovering. Yeah. So, and while he's at home, he discovers a Jewish girl hiding in his home. And he ends up developing a relationship with the girl as he conducts research trying to learn about Jewish people. The secret of the Jews. Yes. All right. What did you like about the film, Corey? In my mind, this film has pulled off one of the things that I would have thought would have been impossible to do in a movie, such as, you know, when the first Avengers movie came out, it's like, well, it'll be impossible for it to be a success, combining so many superheroes together in one movie. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> so, here you have a movie that's dealing with very sensitive um, subject matter, matter, very serious subject matter, and you're throwing comedy into it. Mm-hmm. And at first, you, you, you would think, this cannot work right. and not be a B-rated movie, you know. Or disrespectful. Exactly. But it, it in no way disrespects the subject matter, and it amazingly just works. I can't explain it. It just works, <laughs> and it works so well. We definitely liked the movie, and obviously there might be... Perspectives that we don't fully grasp, but at least from our perspective, we felt that it brought humor, but it also, it didn't bash. It didn't, it was in no way, I mean, if anything, it was just showing the ridiculousness of the ideologies that were being taught (laughs) at that time. Yes. Just, you know, just how off the wall it was. Um, so the film, I really like the fact that it's actually, it's from the child's perspective. It's from Jojo's perspective. And I'm kind of curious, how many of these jokes were perhaps not jokes back when these things were really happening? Like With all you the know, propaganda. You, well, you have the woman saying, I myself have had 18 children for the cause. You know, I was like, it sounds ridiculous, but it makes you wonder. It's like, well, hmm, I wonder if there are some women actually doing this for the fewer back then or not. <laughs> I don't know about 18 just because of the time of how much this would have been. But, yes, I don't know how many were totally devoted in that realm or not. I'm not even sure she said 18, but it, it was a ridiculously high number. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, but So one thing I like, the fact that it was, it was from JoJo's perspective. So there was this innocence of humor. And, and I think perhaps that might be a little bit of why it worked, because it's it's seeing it in his eyes. So, you know, it's kind of like when we... Um, so he's naturally blind to some things that young kids would normally be blind to. Right. But, you know, it's also that idea of, like, the big fish story. Um, what he is seeing 
might be exaggerated as well. Yes. And, um, you know, like, for example, whenever, you know, when we watch the movie Secondhand Lions and you have the uncles retelling the story, you you see it visualized in the boy's mind as a super fanciful thing. (laughs) Or in the movie Big Fish, when, you know, the father is telling his tale, it's, of course, exaggerated. Um, And not only that, you know, if he's telling it to his kiddo growing up, I mean, I'm sure that even that is getting exaggerated. So I think there's, I think, again, that's probably where some of this lightheartedness works because it's, you you know, it's from his perspective and what he sees and kind of what he doesn't see um, or doesn't fully grasp. And he's starting to grasp, you know, it's, um, there's just the beginning of the film He's walking happy and go lucky to his, you know, youth training program. And he walks by, you know, a line of people. Um, I, I don't know if it's for food or it's something. It's it's a line of people. And I'm sure it's They're receiving some kind of government assistance probably. Yeah. And I'm sure it's a, it's a sad thing, but he just doesn't see it. He yeah. just knows he has his purpose and this is what he's doing and he's happy and go lucky. And I think later that comes back and he starts seeing some of the, the sadness that really is happening um, around him. Um, there's a line that Scarlett Johansson's character says in the film. And um, she, meant, she says that we dance to show God we're grateful to be alive. And I think this is a little bit of a theme that kind of carried through the film. And first off, her character as Rosie was just so great because um, she is essentially anti all of the Hitler propaganda. And, you know, she's kind of... um, She's a sympathizer for the other side. Yeah, like, she's helping with them. And, I mean, hence the the girl in the wall. So, anyway, so... And she's trying to get her kiddo to understand, but without being too forceful on it. Because otherwise he, he just won't get it. They may run and tell him mommy for all we know. <laughs> yeah. So, but she makes a point that, you know, we dance to show God we're grateful to be alive. And I was just like, that is such an oh, awesome thought, you know, of that expression of freedom. I appreciate how the movie also can apply today as well. Now, granted, we watched this movie way back in January. Um, I think we watched it again. I guess it was in during spring break because it's the movie we showed my parents. Yes. yes. Um, so right before everything got quarantined. Yeah. Right before COVID nineteen really really hit here. I appreciate how the movie can really apply today when you think about some of the different areas or countries um, that deal with prejudice. That it's just you know that it is sometimes this as soon as this kiddo can speak is being taught prejudice or, um, and it's for no reason. Like there's just no justification. I mean, there's, and so I think part of some of those lessons being taught in the film of Jojo rabbit and the things that we're supposed to always remember of what happened at that time so that we don't repeat it, even though it is still happening in places, um, I think obviously those lessons still very much apply to today. And, um, I just, I hope everyone can see them and, and, you know, of course fix things. Definitely. But again, that's my, my bubble world mentality, as you like to mention sometimes <laughs> for me. So I think the film, it's not really about historical accuracy. <laughs> um, it's really just the sentiment. And, and I think more than anything, it's, 
because we know what horrible things happened then. Um, and I, I, I think it's really more to apply to today. Like, again, don't let this keep on going. Feeding the beast that is prejudice, whether it's based on beliefs, race, behavior, um, which I think were all elements that were shown in the in the film itself. Don't be teaching your you know children <laughs> all the this, you know all these ways because these things are taught. I adored Yorkie, his little buddy. <laughs> um, he was his just, second best friend, as he said. Yes, his second best friend. <laughs> His first being imaginary Hitler. Yes. <laughs> um, which Yorkie took a little offense to. He's like, I'm not your best friend. Um, but he was just a quirk and a delight and um, and for some reason had a superpower of not being able to die. But yeah, so he was he was lovely. And as I mentioned before, this film shows the ridiculousness, but it touches on the seriousness and the intensity of these situations. The relationship that Jojo has with his mother is beautiful. Um, so that's an aspect I really liked of the film. Um, it's For the most it's just the two of them. The father is away. Um, we don't really know what he's doing or even if he's alive and things you, of that nature. You get, yeah, you don't know if he's alive, but you get a sense of what he was really doing and may have, what may have happened to him. Right. So it's really just Jojo and his mom. And, of course, she's kind of fighting against Nazi Germany while Jojo is trying to become a Nazi, yet the two come together. Um, I, I think as she puts it, this is, you know, the table is Switzerland. This is neutral. <laughs> and I think there's, you know, moments where she has to remind him that she's his mom and, you know, is still in charge. But again, they just have this beautiful relationship. And I think the value she tries to teach him and some of the pains of the world that she tries to teach him um, is also evident that you see in the film. So I think, and I made a note that the final scene of them together, I thought, again, is just, it's beautiful, even though it's a very sad scene. It's, um, you know, it's just, it's his discovery of something. And Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> and you only see a symbol of the mom in a sense, but um, it was just, I thought it was done really well. And I think it, at that point, may have also been, a true light switch for Jojo, even though it was an unfortunate light switch. There was a poet that is referenced in the film. Um, I can't remember. I think the girl said she liked him, or maybe she was saying her fiancé liked him. Um, I believe it is this person, um, Rainer Rilke. The movie closes, and there's a final quote at the end of the film, and the quote is, Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. And and I think that's, again, a really important message that we got in the film because we just need to keep going. We we don't want to wallow. And, and ultimately, I think that's a really important message even for right now. Now, we are super fortunate because where we live, we are not a hot spot by any means of what's going on with the pandemic. I know that if we lived, you know, like in New York, we might have a different perspective going on. But we're very fortunate and we're very blessed though of how we are right now. But I still think that's a very important thing to remember that things will happen and we just need to press forward. I mean, this may be a little deep philosophical wise, but we are all here partially to experience pain. Nobody is immune from it. 
So my final note that I wrote of things that I liked, I actually don't think I had any dislikes for the film. <laughs> so my final note of things that I liked was the soundtrack. Um, just because I thought it was a little quirky. And um, a lot of the music, I think, were some, like, normal, not normal, just regular popular music, but in German. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, especially the very final song is David Bowie's Heroes, yes. but in German, which I hadn't heard before. I'd heard the Beatles, I Want to Hold Your Hand. I've definitely heard that because I took German in school, and that was like one of the first things we learned. I hadn't heard the Heroes, and I really liked it because it was a great song to end with. And again, it came full circle with some of the elements that we were hearing from Rosie at the beginning or toward the beginning of the film. Um, so I really liked the soundtrack. It was a great compliment to the film. I would say that to anybody who's seen this movie once, it is definitely worth a second look because I found that watching it a second time, there were some humor or some jokes that were so quick. Man, if you were to blink, you would have missed them. <laughs> so it, it is definitely worth a, a second look just to also maybe pick it up on these subtleties that you may have not seen the first time, mm -hmm. even the, even the, the non-humorous ones. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when he's running down the street, you know, the little background things that you kind of picked up later on and so forth. So it, it's definitely worth observing more than once for yes. sure does it make the movie shelf or not well to our listeners of our last podcast obviously <laughs> i i wrote yes in fact it already has i've already yes. purchased it and we already showed it to my parents so it is on the movie shelf it's already been rewatched I'm sure it will be rewatched again. I'm sure once it hits mainstream TV, it will be continued to be watched oh, yes. more regularly. Um, but yes, definitely, this is a movie shelf worthy item or movie. I again, I think it has great lessons to be learned, to be remembered, and to be applied. And to enjoy. Yes. Yeah. If nothing else, it's also an enjoyable film. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> beyond the philosophy and things to learn, it is a entertaining film so what is your pick of this episode movie pick of this episode well uh so this movie of course brings back other movies i've seen dealing with the holocaust and i think one of my favorite ones is uh the pianist because mm -hmm. of most movies that deals with the subject nature one thing that the pianist does that most of them do not do is it shows you what I call the bowling frog effect. So you have this Jewish family, and you know the area is starting to be taken over, but it's so subtle. It's like, we, we just want you to do this. That's all. And maybe a few days later, okay, now we just want you to do this. You know, it's like, well, we just want you to keep no more than this amount of money in your bank accounts. Which sounds odd, but they're like, oh, okay. And we just want y'all to walk on this side of the street. And we just want you to just identify yourselves with the star. And then later on, it's, yeah, okay, we want you, you know, to move on this side of the city or to live on this side of the street. And it's just like one step on top of another. And before you know it, you're trapped. You know, and, and, and it's too late to, to get away. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and then things just get worse so fast after that 
You know, and I don't think any other movie I've seen really portrays that 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 grayscale of 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 it happening mm-hmm. from one point to the other, a lot like this movie does. So I I was a little torn because I have two movies listed. I'll name them both. Go ahead. Okay, such an important subject. The first movie that I have listed is The Diary of Anne Frank. Um, obviously, it's a book. But I, the movie really does stand out to me. I think this may have been kind of... Yeah, they're all hiding in a really big wall. <laughs> well, they're like in the attic. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I think this movie this movie really stands out to me because I, I think it was probably like my first kind of introduction into visuals of what was going on. Because I think we watched it in like fifth grade. Like I remember one thing that really stands out are the kind of the sounds of the soldiers' heels like on the cobblestone streets. And, and then that, the siren of their cars, you know, like when they would come to do searches and to try to get the families. Um, so I just remember that feeling, you know, or sounding eerie and, and scary. Like, you know, that's probably almost one of the scariest sounds. Um, Cause you're hiding from you hear them right on the other side of the wall. Yeah. So I, um, and I guess also that movie stands out because the story is of course of a young girl and, uh, you know, I was a young girl when I first, you know, came or, you know, was first introduced to the story. Um, but it was done really well. So I really appreciated that movie. And I would encourage everyone to be able to see it, read the book, um, just as part of standard curriculum of, you know, your education. And the next one, again, also I actually watched because of school. So fast forward, I think, to eighth grade. We even had to have special permission because it's rated R. <gasps> I know, <laughs> um, but this was for Schindler's List, and you know, I, sadly, I still need to watch that movie. Mm, that you do. So I think this one, this was the first time that we see kind of what's happening, even like inside camps and things of that nature. Um, yeah, so we didn't really quite get that in the Diary of Anne Frank, but now we're we're seeing what's really happening and, and really getting to understand what's really happening, um, you know, with the, the gas chambers and just everything. Um, so these two movies, I think really helped ingrain in me what really was happening. I mean, and I'm sure there's still plenty more to truly understand what was really happening. Um, but I think that they were two um, great introductions. So those are the two movies that I recommend as part of um, this subject matter. But I do, again, I really enjoy JoJo. But these are my picks of the episode for on the more serious note of the Holocaust and things that were happening during World War II. So, Corey, I think it is now time for a side of bacon. Okay, I'm going to have you go first on this one. All right, so I think we gave ourselves quite the toughie. Yes, we did. We were connecting Scarlett Johansson to Linda Hamilton. I have it in four movies. So, I have Linda Hamilton to Bill Paxton in the first Terminator. He was like one of the street punks. Yep, he was one of the folks. And then we have Bill Paxton to Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic. Uh-huh. 
And then we have Leonardo DiCaprio 2, Samuel L. Jackson in Django Unchained. And then Samuel L. Jackson, she's Scarlett Johansson in a number of Avengers-themed yeah. movies. Take your Marvel movie pick on that one. Yeah. So <laughs> there you have it. There is there are there's my four movie connection. Okay. The hard thing with Linda Hamilton is that you know you think of her, you you know the, the only thing that comes to mind is Terminator movies. And, and Dante's it, Peak. Huh? <laughs> and Dante's Peak. But I was like, that's Pierce Brosnan, so I'm like, I don't, I'm not sure. No, well, there is a small hand of others. So I'm going from Linda Hamilton to Michael Caine. Ooh, in the <laughs> dream movie, right? <laughs> well, I want to say dream movie, but Mr. Destiny. There you go, Destiny. Okay. In which Michael Caine was Mr. Destiny, and mm-hmm. Linda Hamilton was the wife that swapped husbands in the re- realities. So you have it in two movies? Yes. <laughs> so, Michael Caine just Scarlett Johansson in Heather. The Prestige. The Prestige. That's really good. Good job, Corey. <laughs> I will give you a high five. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, you just put me to shame with that one. <laughs> um, all right. So, and we've seen those movies several times. Yes, so, I am know. actually a fan of Mr. Destiny. <laughs> In fact, you showed it to me <laughs> for my okay. first time seeing it. So, do you have your bacon pick for this episode? I don't, but let me see. So, with, well, there's only so many notable actors on this one, but um, I'm going to go with Sam Rockwell. I do believe we've already done him before. Uh, is it a rule that we can't repeat actors? Well, it's not... It's not like written in stone kind of rule, but it I think should be a rule. Okay, I don't know his name. Well, I could also go with two one of two other actors. I could either go. Why with, don't you go with Rebel Wilson? That's one possible one, or the the I don't know his name, but you, I refer to him as the quirky guy. Quirky guy, like in the, in the movie. Yes. Yeah, but he's like Theo Greystone or something like that from um, Game of Thrones. Like, what movies has he been in? No, not that guy. The the the. Tall, skinny. Oh, um, Stephen Merchant. Yes, Stephen Merchant. Which he, he, I can, I can only think of two gets, other movies for him. He, well, he gets around in minor roles. <laughs> okay, so I would say those are both good options. Who do you want to go with? I will go with Stephen Merchant. All right, then um, my pick is Liam Neeson. I'm picking him from Schindler's List. Okay. So Liam Neeson to Stephen Merchant. Thanks for listening to Movie Shelf. And if you would, hit that subscribe button. And if you're listening on your Apple device, leave us a comment and uh, let us know what you think. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And be sure to check our show notes page for links to the movies that we talked about. And, of course, your bacon reminders. We'll catch you next time, you guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.